Content warning, rape, genocide, and a lot of irrelevant discussion of Star Trek. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Very few do nothing but take part in these extreme pastimes. Most have otherwise fairly normal lives. Ziller relit his pipe, by culture standards. Well, yes, and why not? They socialize, they have work hobbies, they play in more gentle forms, they read or watch screen, they go to entertainments, they sit around grinning in one of their glanded drug states, they study, they spend time traveling. Aha! Apparently, just for the sake of it, or they simply... Potter. And of course, many of them indulge in arts and crafts. Cabe made a smile and spread his three hands. A few even compose music. They spend time. That's just it. They spend time traveling. The time weighs heavily on them because they lack any context, any valid framework for their lives. They persist on hoping that something they'll think and they'll find in the place they're heading for will somehow provide them with fulfillment they feel certain they deserve and yet have never come close to experiencing. Ziller frowned and tapped at his pipe bowl. Some travel forever in hope and are serially disappointed. Others, slightly less self-deceiving, come to accept that the process of traveling itself offers, if not fulfillment, then relief from the feeling that they should be feeling fulfilled. Cabe watched a spring leg bounce from branch to branch through the trees outside, its ruddy fur and long tail dappled with leaf shadows. He could hear the shrill voices of human children, playing and splashing in the pool at the side of the house. Oh, come, Ziller. Arguably any intelligent species feels that to some extent. Really? Does yours? Cabe fingered the soft folds of the drapes on the so- at the side of the balcony window. We are much older than the humans, but I think we probably did once. He looked back at the Chelgria and crouched on the wide seat as though ready to pounce. All naturally evolved sentient life is restless, at some scale or stage. The point is, Ziller said, that having carefully constructed their paradise from first principles to remove all credible motives for conflict amongst themselves and all natural threats, he paused and glanced sourly at the sunlight flaring off the gilt border of his seat. Well, almost all natural threats. These people then find their lives so hollow that they have to recreate false versions of just the sort of terrors untold generations of their ancestors spent their existences attempting to conquer. I think that is a little like criticizing someone for owning both an umbrella and a shower, Cape said. It is the choice that is important. From Look to Windward by Ian M. Banks. Hi, uh, it's uh, Adam Prosser here once again with What Mad Universe. And uh, as always, my co-host is Philip Rice. Hello. Hello. And uh, today we are uh, looking at the uh, culture novels. Uh, pretty big uh, uh and fairly recent uh, addition to the canon of science fiction. Um, the first book was published in 1987, although apparently Banks was working on them for years before that. Um, he, he's 
also a non-fiction or a non-science uh, fiction writer. He wrote uh, a book called The Wasp Factory a few years before this. Uh, but and uh, he just passed on a couple years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's immediately been accepted as one of the big. Uh, linchpins of science fiction <laughs> um it's the kind of thing uh that bafflingly gets uh, embraced by tech bros as well as science fiction fans it's uh generally considered to be one of the more left-leaning science fiction series that's out there and it's um had it's increasingly having a bit of a cultural impact some might say it's one of the big science fiction series that hasn't been uh, adapted to film or tv yet and you know, apparently Jeff Bezos is a fan, so maybe we'll see that someday oh, at Amazon. Uh, there, there actually was one um, being made for Amazon, but it was canceled, like, just ah, recently. That's right. Yes, I think I heard about that. But, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it was uh, like, canceled as in, like, the project never took off. But, right, yeah, they were right. planning one for on Amazon Prime. Yeah, who knows when, how streaming happens these days. Probably, possibly for the best. It's, it'd be a bit of a difficult one to, uh, to adapt. But, yeah. But, uh, any... Anyway, uh, just to just to give the context here, I actually thought uh, I I just before uh, this episode I read Look to Windward, which I actually had thought was the last book, but um, it's actually not the last. It's a sequel to Consider Fle- like a direct sequel to Consider Flebus, uh, which are which is in um, like and of course these are all set in the same universe, but the, 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 there's other books set in the same universe. Um, although ironically, it doesn't it, it doesn't feature any of the same characters or anything. It's just it follows on more directly from some of the events of consider Phlebas. Um so neither of us has read all the books and there's a bunch of short stories that he did as well so um, how many have you read i have read um uh the first five or six books i've read consider Phlebas, uh player of games use of weapons excision and um uh and as i say look to windward um uh, so i've yeah those are the ones i've read uh okay I, I've, and i've only I've, read the first one yeah, yeah. But it's okay. I mean, that's enough to sort of talk about the world. Like, it's no... Uh, they rarely have repeated characters. They're set across, like, a, a couple thousand years. Um, like, so it's... it's I, I, it, As I say, even this one... Even Look to Windward, which is uh, technically a direct sequel, does not feature um, any any of the characters repeating. It just... It follows up on things like the events of the Adyrian War, for instance. Yeah, uh, I mean, what... the ending of uh, Consider Phlebas is like a coda that's set, you know, thousands of years after. Right, yeah. Exactly. Or at least hundreds. Like, it, it was like a great-great-great-granddaughter or grandniece or something. Yeah. Was the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, this, and, and Look to Windward is also, like, uh, I think 800 years after. Um Interestingly, apparently, consider Fle- consider Flebus is set in our year of uh, I think it's twelve hundred and eighty seven or something like that. Um, so, like, it, like for us, it would be the medieval era, um, and that just shows that, like, the the even though there's humans in the novel, yeah. Apparently, uh, one of the things he does is that um, it, he he basically does the Star Trek thing, um, where um, like all, all these different alien races apparently evolved in the human form, uh, even though there are other non-human alien forms as well, as we see in the first book. Um, Banks apparently the first of these books he wrote was uh, Use of Weapons, and then he also wrote Player of Games, um, and it was like like decades before Consider Phlebas, uh, and his friends basically said, "Yeah, this is interesting, but." It, it's a mess and then uh when he finally wrote consider Flibus as kind of that sort of established a firmer backdrop for the series 
Um, and then he went and rewrote uh, Player of Games and Use of Weapons as, like, to more firmly set them in the world that he'd established with Consider Phlebas, if you get what I'm saying here. Um, yeah. So he'd been, he'd been working on it for, like, it's kind of crazy to think that, but he's been working on it for decades before he finally, uh, he finally put out the culture books. Um, the the uh, J.R. Tolkien approach. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Like, J.R. Tolkien was an, uh, was an academic. Uh, actually, I, I, I hadn't checked on what... Ba- Banks is Scottish, or was Scottish. He passed away, as I said. Uh, 2013, he, he died. Um, he uh, apparently... I mean, the, one of the things about uh, being in the UK is that you can work, a, work as being a writer for years without having to have, like, full-time employment, basically, because of the the welfare state they and have there. as you said, he was also a successful um, non-science, like a literary author. Right, right. But even then, like, he was writing from, like, in the, the, the 60s and 70s before he published anything in the 80s. Um, and he was a he was an academic, from what I can tell. Um, but, like, yeah, he, I don't think he had... Uh, I, I think his goal was always to be a writer, and he just took a very long time to, uh, to, to put it together in that regard, which is good. I mean, that's kind of impressive that you can... Uh, you can take your time and, and develop something that way. Um, it's interesting, too. So he, the the culture novels are um, essentially a utopian science fiction uh, series. Um, and what's actually interesting to me is, like, it's very hard not to think about Star Trek. And it's always been funny to me that Consider Phlebas is was published the same year that Star Trek Next Generation came out. Um so it couldn't have been influenced by it, and of course Star Trek existed before uh, Consider Phlebas, but uh, but um, it was kind of different in nature. It was much more of a um, like, yeah, it was a it was a it was a, a positive, an optimistic view of humanity, but it didn't have the sort of post scarcity socialism aspect to it in the original series. Um, that's something that came more with the next generation era. And so it's, it's just funny that this, there's this very strong parallel between, uh, Berman era Star Trek and, (laughs) and the culture novels where they're both dealing with like, okay, how, how would a, an idealized society work and what kind of problems would they come into? And their ideas between, uh, interacting with other cultures that aren't theirs. Yeah. Yeah. And aspects of that, like, and I, I don't know if that was an influence, probably not, but uh, there are aspects of uh, the culture novels that play into that, like the um, fact that uh, the culture's outreach, like the the um, part of... The, the culture is like an anarchistic, um, moneyless society. They have no um, uh, governments as we would know them. They, they don't have, you know, um, anarchist. Uh, yeah. But they do have, um, for dealing with other cultures... Uh, uh, a section called contact um and within that uh you know extra special uh section called special circumstances which mm-hmm. is like their black ops program and becomes their military when they go to war uh right. later on in their their history um and like everybody else in the culture sort of looks down on or at least has a little bit of contempt for contact cuz they're like not quite you know <laughs> Yeah, they're 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 they're, they're compromised not, in some way. They're restless and they're less. Yeah, well, yes, th- that's right. They have to uh, get involved with other cultures, and they're they're like there's a restlessness and an I guess implicit criticism, and maybe just the idea that they're meddling in others' affairs. But contact is it's funny because you know if contact is Starfleet, but it's almost the opposite because it literally says, yeah, we're going to go out and meddle with other cultures. Like that is. Oh yeah, they they don't have the prime directive at all. 
Yeah, they're 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 literally like, no, we want to make sure everyone is as happy and civilized with a capital C as we are. I should point out, by the way, you say there's no government, but they're like the government is by the mines, which are the gigantic artificial intelligence. Okay, yeah, fair. I I mean, there's no like, I don't know. Yeah, well, the mines are like you don't pay taxes. You don't uh... right. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it like the idea is there's no laws like explicitly yeah. there's no laws you can be social if something re- if you do something really bad you can be socially ostracized uh, there's a a, a a thing called a slap drone uh, I don't know if they talked about it and consider Phlebas, but the no. idea is if you do something really bad uh, you might get a slap drone to follow you around and prevent you from doing it again um, <laughs> but that's the that that's the main uh, punishment you're gonna see. Uh, uh, oppose, uh, applied to you. Um, that's actually yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's like a good idea. You know, I, I mean, uh, I, I assume the drone actually like physically prevents you, but I like the idea of just like this, this um, shame thing, <laughs> yeah. uh, following you around. Like point, like um, I guess the Scarlet Letter, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like or it, that, it or uh, the... does have unfortunate. Uh, or well, no, in... it's the it's the Mister Show sketch with the guy with the the sign walking around, going ringing a bell, saying. We've got a rapist here, a rapist. <laughs> you know. Anyway, uh, also uh, in Viking culture, like if if you like, I forget if you refused a duel with someone, the other person would erect a shame pole. <laughs> like that's what it was called, like a shame pole in their front yard, and <laughs> oh, <laughs> <would be> like... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, a lot of before we had like uh, sort of um, imperialist type civilizations, they tended to like that was the very common thing to do. Like with indigenous cultures was. Uh, ostracization even ancient greece that was that was uh although it was a little different for them because they would vote on who they were going to ostracize every every year but um it wasn't even a vote it was like a a, a lottery <laughs> from what i understand um but yeah like that's that's always been a very effective way of, of punishing people and so that, that that's sort of what they do but they also talk about how the culture is like um if you're if you're disagreeing with like the small C culture of uh, a particular place you live. And they tend to live on very big star sh- uh, spaceships, which are called general service vehicles, GSVs, or uh, orbitals, which are basically uh, very big space stations. I, I initially... They're ring worlds. Well, see, uh, there's some confusion about that because I don't think they actually are... The the one in Consider Phlebas is a ring world, I think, but culture orbitals built by the... Because that one wasn't built by the culture, Correct. Uh, no, it was a long time before. I think. Did they say it was built by the culture? Because I thought the point was they discovered that place as something that had been built by an earlier culture. Um, um I and taken over it. Well, the culture orbitals don't seem to actually be, like the the one in Look to Windward, for instance, doesn't seem to be an actual uh, ring world like a Dyson sphere type arrangement. Uh, it actually does seem to be a Taurus. Like very big, but not not encircling the sun. Uh, rather, the hub is at the center, and uh, it's the like it rotates away from the sun. Like it, they talk about how it can rotate away from the sun because if it was a if it was a ring world, unless it sort of rotated along its axis, it wouldn't be able to uh, have day and night right from the sun. Well, um, I thought that was it. Like it rotates on its axis, or it's. The thing about Banks is he's actually a little scarce in descriptions. This is true about a lot of things. Like when he just when he when you when he talks to about aliens, only occasionally does he really get into the details. And like I say, the fact that these the inhabitants of the culture are quote humans, but then there's apparently distinctions between them. They may have different numbers of fingers or other things. So again, I'm, I'm some like, of them are I, furry. 
Yeah, some of them are furry. But then the thing is, they can also alter their appearance in different ways. Like, that is actually... In fact, he talks about there are fashions for people just to really uh, bio-sculpt themselves in really weird, exotic ways sometimes. Um, And they tend to keep going back to the human form. But, um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. And and there's also... um, uh they they have like uh, inbuilt uh, genetic engineering uh that they can uh, mate with other species if they choose to yeah they've got a few things built in to their body the one of the big things is that they can gland which is to say they have drugs that are sort of produced by their glands that they can get high on whenever they feel like it um so like and, w- and they they used to do things like you know uh hyper hyper focus and hyper awareness and like super speed or or just to you know have fun like to calm them down or but but also you know recreational drugs as well and then the other thing is they can all change sex they can uh like you it takes a while but you can start a process in your body that uh switches your gender to the point where like you can like if you're if you become female you can have children um that's interesting because that that's not dealt with in the first book yeah, the f- the thing about Consider Phlebas is that it's not because it's fr- seen from a point of view, and I think that's something. And even in like later books, it's like he tends to look at it through the perspective of outsiders and fringe people from the culture. So like the player of games is actually from the perspective of a guy. They talk about specifically he has never like it's normal for everyone to change gender a couple times in their their life, but he has never done that. Uh, and it's kind of like he's he's like a old fat like he's a throw again it's that thing of being a throwback um and he gets he gets recruited to to go on a special mission in fact to win a planetary game in order to again for for contact in order to uh try to try to liberate this world because everyone it's it's kind of a uh, monarchical autocracy ruled by the whoever wins the game basically and they want he wants to sort of uh, the, the contact wants to snap them out of that and, and liberate them um but and so if an outsider can come in and and win the game uh then that he can make whatever directions to their society feel they feel are uh appropriate uh, but they talk about yeah it's that same thing of like he's like a cowboy and he's you know out of his own time he, he doesn't feel like he fits in essentially um and use of weapons is from someone who comes in to the culture but he starts in another uh society and he comes comes in so yeah you get this sort of like uh distancing and then uh, look to windward is from the perspective of an alien mostly uh a couple of different alien beings uh called the uh chelgri uh chelgrians who are um sort of furry multi-limbed entities who have a caste system and they actually had a very brutal uh war uh against the like the caste system they tried to overthrow the caste system like you're meaning you're born into a a level of service or else you're one of the nobles or whatever um and it's based on their religion and everything like that but of course there's low caste people who are saying we want all the same freedoms and rights as everyone else uh there were there there was a civil war uh and they eventually you know meet, ret, meet, met peace but they they discovered that uh the culture had kind of engineered it in some ways and it had it had kind of gone wrong because they'd uh they'd elevated the low caste individuals uh into positions of power but they had kind of gone further instead of just fighting for liberation they they started enacting revenge against the given caste which is the highest caste um and that had led to a, a very brutal civil war so a lot of the chelgrians are very angry at the culture as look to windward starts they say you know oh you you guys have created you know um 
and and when you see what with the Adirian War as well. So like the culture does have a dark side. They do cause problems um, uh, in ways that can create like some pretty nasty side effects as as we we learn i don't remember if they get into it in phlebas but like like uh the adirians uh ended up uh setting at least a couple of stars to go supernova uh at the at the climax of the war did they talk about that and consider phlebas yeah in the in the coda yeah yeah and um it was and the thing it was the adirians who did it so they're the alien race that's fighting against uh, the culture uh but um they did it because uh like they had actually sued for peace before that and the culture said no we we need an unconditional surrender because you know if we let you get away with it you know you'll you'll come back and do it again basically uh so they kept fighting and they did some some massive atrocities happened before the war finally ended, uh, which there is something they're considering. Look to Windward is partly about um, them uh, observe, like it's on an orbital that's observing the light from the two supernovas uh, hitting that or just hitting that orbital now, like 800 years later and everyone's sort of contemplating what happened in the, especially the hub mind, uh, which had, which had been, had fought in the uh, the war and they're kind of consu- they're considering like oh look at what what happened because of that war and the chelgreens are involved as well so it does that book does uh i guess the right term to say is steelman uh the culture like uh, like uh, the or rather the critics of the culture like there's you present the culture as this wonderful thing but then you you go like okay but what would other perspectives be on the culture like how how much would people dislike the culture potentially? And what are some of the bad things, the, cult, the, the, the legitimate things you could say against the culture and the bad things they've done? And that's kind of the point of Look to Windward, especially of like focusing on the ways its hands might get dirty uh, in building this utopian society or in meddling in other societies really more than anything. Yeah, so uh, like uh, a few things, because uh, you went on for a little while sorry, there. Sorry, um, So I'll, I'll try to get to all of them point by point uh um cut that out um yeah uh say uh the first book is the main character is uh, from a race of uh called the shifters that were actually genetically engineered long before the the culture of in war for some other like it's not even clear in history why they were created but they were weapons of war and they can um they're they're human shaped but they can uh induce changes in themselves to uh, copy a specific person um so they're obviously great at you know espionage and stuff and they have like naturally built in um uh, poisons and things um to deal with uh enemies uh and it mentions at the end uh the shifters died in the war like they're the entire species wiped out they were on the adirin side so yeah the culture committed a genocide there yeah probably not the only one yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's they they wiped out their uh, the asteroid they lived on, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, uh, and another yeah, one of the reviews I read for this series uh, had uh, er, suggested that uh, the reason why so many of them are from the point of view of people outside of the culture is because if you just write a story about you know people living in a utopia, that's kind of boring. Hmm. Like there's there's no conflict within the society, um, right? Uh, it reminds me of, uh, and we actually covered this book, but I don't think we talked about this aspect of it. Uh, the uh, uh, Coming Race by Edward Bulwer Lytton. Uh, it mentions that 
the the main character comes from you know outside of the uh, Vrilia race um, enters into this uh, seemingly utopian society, and he uh, you know writes down some of the stories from his uh, culture, and they just say, "Nah, uh, we can't allow this to get out. It'll just upset people." Because it's like uh, the the emotions stirred up and stuff. It's just a uh, um, all, all the wars and fighting and you know the the great you know uh, it just um, yeah it's it, it, it yeah they it, w- it would have a destabilizing effect even in a small amount on society and they can't have that yeah oh, well didn't they even talk about how like they it would cause them to have to come up and conquer humanity because they're that so too up. yes yeah like it's it's so it is kind of the same thing um yeah but sorry. yeah Go so it, I, it's hard to um it's it's hard to write about a, a society where uh and uh i'm i'm sure the the people in the berman era have of star trek had this problem because gene roddenberry insisted you know everybody in starfleet gets along and agrees with each other um yeah yeah and, exactly. and that that caused problems on you know it was allowed to be uh um, downplayed significantly, uh, significantly on DS9 because that was the show that uh, they weren't paying as much attention to. But mm-hmm. like Voyager has that problem, like in spades. Yeah, which is ironic because they set it up as having people from outside of Starfleet that they could clash with if they needed to. Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah. but they they uh, dropped that in episode two. Actually, yeah, by the exactly. ep- end of episode one, um, yeah. the um, uh, sorry, the Maquis. Yeah, like um, the idea that there can't be internal conflict in a perfect society is actually, it does present uh, storytelling problems. Yeah. Well, I have to say the culture novels, like, uh, um, it's not all about outside clashes with the culture. Um, but yeah, like that that is obviously kind of why, as you say, that's why it, it tends to be an outsider's view on things. They do talk about like, uh, it, Banks rather, t- it talks about ways in which uh, there are like not like we're seeing the really horrible wars like we're talking about here but there are ways in which uh, there are conflicts within the culture um, partly because there's a thing called subliming uh, which apparently multiple cultures not just the culture but multiple civilizations across the galaxy over the thousands and millions of years have uh, you can get to a certain point of technology where you can essentially become a, a being of pure energy and go on to sort of a higher plane of reality, which still sometimes interacts a little bit with ours. Um, the Chelgrians are actually capable of, to a limited degree, talking to their sublimed, uh, which is a, an interesting thing with them. Um, but like, um, it's and and like, of course, minds. If they 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 find that if they develop a mind and it's like as perfect as possible with no like. Because, of course, when you par- program an AI, an artificial intelligence, um, there's going to be an uh, like elements of the creator, uh, sort of their biases and, and predispositions are going to be built into the artificial intelligence. And um, they were trying to eliminate those, and they found that the, if they actually did a really good job at eliminating those biases and had a purely neutral AI, they would almost immediately sublime themselves to a higher purpose. So it's actually like... That there are flaws in the minds of the the culture, uh, and that's actually what keeps the culture together. Um, and then they see that the whole universe is on a koala's back. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry, sorry lower decks reference. Well, that yeah. Uh, there, there's a thing that um, people who ascend, you know, there's like a cult, subculture even within Starfleet of like people who are trying to ascend to energy states and stuff. Right. And yeah, they yeah. That that's been a thing in science fiction for a while. If like, yeah, uh, going up to a higher higher. Uh, higher thing but there's also the idea that like i i kind of touched on it before like there are like every orbital and every ship and everything is going to have its own small c culture its own way of doing things and like it literally can be like well what if we set up our society to do this um there's in look to windward they there's this very it it revolves around a concert actually a composer is one of the main characters and his big concert that he's going to give in honor of the the light of the supernovas that i mentioned before hitting this orbital he's he's written a huge uh composition that's going to be one sort of his masterpiece and uh because there's only so many like it's a post-scarcity culture but because there's only so many seats that that are available to the to the actual uh concert uh they they sort of wryly start commenting on they've reinvented money because everyone's starting to barter and trade uh in order to get like hot seats for the concert so it's like you've got everything it it does point out interestingly that like we talk about oh we well but we need money and we need commerce and capitalism or you know there there's no incentive to do anything but it's like well you can provide all the means for people to live but there's still going to be things that are scarce that people are going to fight over and that's actually and like reward that that are rewards as it were um so like that that's almost making that point by (laughs) by uh indirectly uh about how like you can have that sort of uh post-scarce post-scarcity society and still have people competing with like a mini economy as it were but there's also all these ideas that there's all these different societies and cultures that again small c cultures and it's like if you don't like one you could just go to another one right like there you can you can you can split off and there are people who are going to have disagreements within the culture in that regard so there are like it's not going to be earth-shatteringly like life or death situations most of the time but there are that interesting conflicts and push and pulls within the culture and it keeps it sort of active there's a thing that um that like if you do something really out out of line it's usually labeled capital capital letters an interesting life choice in the culture (laughs) so so for instance for a human to become a mind uh to like become an ai uh is considered an interesting life choice and it's actually considered like rude <laughs> but like both the humans and the ais consider that kind of like bad taste <laughs> but people do it you know oh uh yeah uh, on the art front uh that's another thing that ds9 sort of deals with uh it doesn't uh you know come out but it, it's uh obviously a post uh post-scarcity society but say jake is a writer um uh and an artist um yeah, yeah, his, his uh, plot line uh, in the in the latter half of the series sort of reminds me of that. The the idea of um, art as a as a thing in even a post scarcity society that people right. will um, or or uh, again Voyager say that episode where where the Doctor creates a a hollow novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a thing that is never going to be like in a post scarcity society. It's still a thing that has value. In quote marks value. Yeah, that that, that like that's unique and that that can be provided by an individual individual person. Um, and it's a question of like, is that and, and that's uh, like for for a lot of like revolutionary and and 
you know, I guess leftist societies and leftist thinkers throughout the last few centuries, that's been a that's been a thing of like, well, if we put aside our our needs are are like we if we can serve all of our basic needs, then we can be unshackled to accomplish great things, including art, but also science, exploration, uh, discovery, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the culture doesn't embrace that. But so now here's the thing that that does tie into something I wanted to say because um, there is an aspect of me. Banks has uh, he's apparently just flat out said like uh, what a lot of. Um, science fiction writers when they talk about this stuff like they create a, a society and then they kind of hedge their bets and they'll say like yeah well i'm just creating this as a thought experiment i'm not saying this is where i'd want to live or this is my idea of a perfect society um and i mean which is fair enough like like a lot of the time it's that's not what they mean necessarily but you can detect kind of this vague longing like you can you can get a sense sometimes not always but sometimes of where the author's like sympathies lie uh like you know people have there people have defended Heinlein against starship troopers and even he i think he said oh yeah no it's not necessarily the ideal society and he wrote other things that seem to contradict it but like he's clearly got some sympathy to that society and thinks it's cool and great uh banks has very actively said oh yeah no the cult i think his exact words were the culture say moi like i you know he 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 was a little more ambivalent about it he said like oh there's things and there's you know it's you don't want to just make it like yes i just poured my heart out into this is exactly the kind of society that i want to live in but you know generally speaking this does reflect the kind of society i want to live in i think i think this is it he's a socialist or he was a socialist um but but <laughs> If you look at the, the the name of both Consider Phlebas and Look to Windward are from a from the Wasteland by T. S. Eliot, they're quotes. Uh and I'll just read you the passage here that's uh that's from Look to Wind uh, from the, the, the Wasteland. Phlebas the Phoenician, a fortnight dead, forgot the cry of gulls and the deep sea swell and the profit and loss, a current under sea, picked his bones in whispers. As he rose and fell, he passed the stages of his age and youth, entering the whirlpool, Gentile or Jew, O you who turn the wheel and look to windward. Consider Phlebas, who was once handsome and tall as you. And the implication there is someone who forgot about the needs of life and the, the forgot to ground himself in, you know, the things that make life life. Uh, and it it destroyed him. And like that, if if that's what he's going on, then that's kind of a, a wry commentary on the culture right there. Like, am I crazy or, uh, no. Yeah. Like I, I, cause he, he, like he, he's been very active in like, this would be a great place to live the culture. But I think he's banks. That is he, I think he spent a lot of time prodding at it because he's a science fiction writer and that's what <coughs> science fiction writers do. They create an idea and then they, they prod at it to try to almost break it down to, to build it up stronger. I think I think that's kind of what he's doing. But it is just very interesting that that's the passage that he uses as a title for several of the books. Um, yeah, the the idea of a science fiction writer um, creating a utopia that they actually like fully believe in is uh, interesting. Uh, uh, have you read uh, News from Nowhere by William Morris? I actually haven't read this one. I've read some of his other stuff, but mm. uh, I've heard of it, but I hadn't read it. Yeah, uh, he was. Uh, um, author in the uh victorian era wrote uh fantasy he also designs like he was a man of all <laughs> jack of all trades uh okay he, he also like famous wallpaper designer <laughs> okay <laughs> no he's still known like the william morris wallpaper like that's Interesting. a thing okay. um 
but yeah, he was uh, he was a Marxist. Um, and uh, News from Nowhere is is like a utopian um, his ideal mm-hmm. how how to run society, and it's it's from like a anarchist uh, side of Marxism. Obviously, this is uh, before the Soviet Union existed, right? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's lots of writers, and like this is where science fiction does overlap with political writing because there's a number of people who wrote. If, I mean, we were already talking about the coming race, like that influenced that in sort of minor ways that influenced the world in in uh, through like the 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 concept of vril and everything. But I mean, like uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Like apparently, Lenin, one of Lenin's favorite books was a. I, I guess he technically not a science fiction novel, but it described a utopian community. Uh, it was called What is to be Done. Uh, and it was like this, it was sort of the author's idea of what a, a perfect society, a perfect, at least a perfect community would look like. Um, like that, that was not uncommon again in the 19th century. It was just, it, you, you were expected to, and early 20th century. I think there was a, a lot more of, yes, here is, here is how it should be <laughs> and i'm going to pitch it to you and i i don't expect the audience to have like a sophisticated like questioning of it like um i expect them to just accept it as is and it's not until later that you get people saying well like this is a thought experiment rather than a full-on description of how i think things are supposed to be yeah anyway. uh, a lot of more modern science fiction writers will actually try to um delve deeper like even um uh, say that the culture, the first culture novel, uh, also deals with the Adirans, the the race that are against the culture, and it's clearly like they're they have positives, but they're also clearly a very um, violent and warlike culture. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, the main uh, character, what's his name, Har Harko Hork, Hoser Horza Horza. So, and and um, he he does start fairly early on and consider Phlebas by saying like, I, you know, I could, he doesn't have to be on either side. He wasn't compelled to be with the Adirians or the culture, but he decided to side with the Adirians because he said they're on the side of life. And his big problem with the, the culture is that they are ruled by artificial intelligence. Um, like he, and he, he feels that that's destructive and that like, that's, that's both limiting and possibly horrific, which in some ways he's proven right, I guess. Um, uh, he but, also says uh, the culture is a, a uh, evolutionary dead end. Like they, there's no um, internal, um, I suppose, uh, will to fight within, because it just sort of you stop. Like you, you reach perfection, then you stop. There's no, um, mm-hmm. and that that's a philosophical thing that like that the this character obviously comes to. But is that necessary? A good thing. Right. Like well, if we if we reach a perfect point, wouldn't we want to stop? Mm-hmm. In that yeah, sense. Well, well, and also, I mean, the book and the larger s- culture series per se uh, actually. Okay, so this is actually again, this gets into the the wasteland element um, because um, that I mentioned the the thematic uh, resonance there um, because like we do find out that the culture has the will to fight like, and they win the war. And it was like, Oh, like the Adirians win are winning a lot at the beginning. Cause it was this idea of like, yeah, we're, we're the muscular fighters and you guys are a bunch of simpering pampered, you know, it's, it's the, the, I guess the, you know, you could 
to to flatten it a bit it's the conservative uh, I, uh idea of what happens when your society gets too liberal you all get weak and pampered and you can't fight anymore and the books essentially say no no that's not true like it's true that they kind of leave off it for a while and don't uh, and let the Adirians uh, expand and then bad things have to happen to get it back on track but the culture is ultimately the the, the one that triumphs in that regard and it's like it's it's not weak because it cares about humanity and cares about you know the 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 needs of the many and 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 trying to create a utopian society where people can feel pleasure and and explore it's like it's not weak for doing those things that's definitely something banks is saying like i don't like whatever criticisms he has he thinks he has of the culture or that he may be trying to sneak into the culture i don't think that's anything he's disagreeing with in look to windward uh, they get into a thing because there is actually a okay. So, Look to Windward was published in two thousand, and it involves a um, th- this alien race who I mentioned. They felt uh, they had been uh, had you know this this war that they'd fought had been a result of the culture's meddling, and he's actually going to uh, bomb an orbital. He's going to destroy an orbital as a like tit for tat because they literally believe that they have to create an equivalent amount of dead. Uh, in order to let their dead get into heaven. Um, and that's the, like, so there's this uh, splinter, like the Chelgri are mostly peaceful at this point, but they've created a splinter faction. Um, and they, um, and the center, splinter faction is going to bomb, basically do a suicide bombing of an orbital. It's from the point of view of a guy who is essentially a, studio, uh, a suicide bomber. Uh, this was the year before 9-11 this came out. Um, and uh, it's again he he kind of weirdly anticipates a lot of things uh in some ways and and um he does deal with like they have some mysterious benefactors who are steering this attack and um he he they never you never find out who they are but they float the possibility that there's actually a rogue group of minds within the culture who might have decided yeah we are too static and we are too stable and a as you say, an evolutionary dead end. And the only way we, we're going to have to shake things up with an actual conflict and some violence or the society won't continue to evolve properly. It'll just decline and, and die out and stagnate. Um, like that's just a possibility. He doesn't say that's definitely what's going on, but we do find out in accession, for instance, that there are these sort of uh, secret councils of minds getting together to discuss bigger ideas. So like, you know, and it again, it's a very utopian society, but like it's a little unnerving if there's this big, powerful AI conspiring behind your back to come up with ideas. But they are devoted to like protecting humanity, like they were literally programmed for that, and they've never given up on that, too. So, you know, yeah, different. these aren't, and this is actual artificial intelligence, not um, <laughs> right I don't know, plagiarism machines built well, by technos. <laughs> yeah, that was something. Yeah, did you want to talk about that? The AI aspect, like. Like, can you get to an AI of this level, basically? I mean, uh, whether you can or not, uh, in this novel you can, and and this is sort of, I guess, what would happen if you could do that and actually do it right so they're actually benevolent. Right. Like, that would be a good thing if that could happen, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that well, like, this is this is what I'm saying. Like, an AI is going to carry the biases of its creators when it does that. And he does talk about them, like, they're way smarter than humans like there's just no competition and they can uh and there's even discussion in look to windward about like can they create art which is actually something that maybe they can't maybe that is one thing they can't do but they the the hub 
AI and look to Windward says, you know, you know, if I tried, we could create creative works on the same level as what you, the composer, are doing. Just uh, in with fact, the wrong number of fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, he said Sorry. he makes the argument. Yeah, ex- well, that I mean, that's kind of it. it. Kind of feels like the 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 minds don't want to do that because they want to leave that to uh, to the humans and the biological entities that make up the culture because it's like it's a it's a better way to live to let them do that and for us to uh, to manage all the actual important stuff basically uh, and he compares it to like um um like someone who climbs a mountain and then gets to the top and finds that someone's landed an aircraft there and are having a picnic right like he says like we could do that but the struggle is part of it right and yeah. i've always i've always said that's kind of true of art like it's the perspective is and that makes the art different too. Like you're not going to get like technically you can get to the exact same spot, uh, but it's what the the artist experience that that's going to get the get you there. But yeah, yeah. like I like, like uh, the phrase people say about AI art, or one of the phrases is, "Why should I bother looking at this? Nobody bothered to make it." <laughs> exactly, which I I think is absolutely bang on and i think it's also exposing the fact that we're probably never going to see ai on the scale that we're talking about in these stories like we've gotten sort of primed by science fiction to think that oh yeah artificial intelligence someday they'll be robot overlords or you know benevolent or malevolent they'll be these super smart computers that can do everything we can do but like there's actually my understanding and i don't claim to know the science behind it is that we probably can't get to the level of processing power that would enable it to recreate a human mind in terms of creative thought like it can accomplish a lot but it's never going to get to the point where it can you know think dynamically the way a human being does like uh the uh quote ai that we have now can like copy uh human stuff it can put things together and say uh, art wise is like a collage and stuff but it can't make decisions right it can't it can't. It doesn't have intentionality. It doesn't have a will to create yeah. something, and that's sort of needed for a creative project. Yeah, which is getting back to the theme that we're talking about too. Like you can't, you know, if you don't have a will, uh, you know, or is that going to cause you to to stagnate? And I mean, yeah, intent. I think you you put your finger on it there. Intentionality. That's that that's what really dis- divides a true intelligence. I think even a very from even a very sophisticated machine intelligence, which we don't have. To be clear, we're not anywhere near that level now. But even if we were in the future, it wouldn't, as you say, have an intentionality. It wouldn't have a direction. Um, which is provided presumably by like the process of living and the process of evolution and the process of biological entities having to deal with the things they have to deal with. You know, mm-hmm. um, if it's just a, a machine that does a thing forever, it, it, and of course, what we're seeing with AIs too is like you can poison the well for them, right? Like the art gets can get worse instead of better. Because yeah, because they're training on other AI things that are already terrible. Right, exactly. It, it that's the stagnation part, right? Like it, it's even if even and, and some people are like deliberately doing that because of the problems with AI. But like even if they weren't doing that, it would inevitably like it would be eating its own tail forever. Essentially, it would yeah. just it's it's a predictive model, not not a as you say intentional intentional one. Um, yeah, and there's interesting stuff with how the minds work. I, if I recall correctly, the the one that's like the the central thing to. Uh, like the the MacGuffin in uh, uh, remember please uh, consider Plebis. Um 
Phlebas, sorry. Um, it, it uh, like, a lot of it's, like, uh, uh, physical processing stuff is, like, in warp space, right? Or, like... Right, yeah. It's, it's... like, outside of the de- normal space. And, like, uh, that... Actually, that reminds me of the uh, um, Hyperion books uh, that uh, the um, they they set up the um, singularity system, the, the far casting that teleports humans between places, mm-hmm. um, because they actually have all their hardware in between those spaces between, like, in that other dimension. Right. Yeah. Like and phys- that... physically, they put their hardware in there, and that's why nobody can find where they are physically. Yeah, and the well, the Hyperion uh, in, in the AIs in Hyperion are using the humans that use the the transporting uh, as like processing power as well. Yeah. Um, so, and it's funny that the the, the AI the AI in Hyperion uh, are like almost the opposite of the minds in uh, in in uh, the culture books because they're they're malevolent. They are directing yeah. human minds but but there but it, he also talks about in one of the later books that i don't think you read uh he actually talks about how uh the ais were born out of he basically pins it to the time that he was writing like the early 90s and the the software boom in silicon valley and he says like it was born out of competition and like that the hacker essentially the hacker arms race like you know hackers would try to hack something and the security would get better and then the hackers would try to outdo the security and like the 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 idea that the birth of the early web which is the the very very proto days of ai were based on this kind of uh again evolutionary arms race that was going on and as a result they they um the the programs that eventually became these super sophisticated ais were based on like trying to destroy each other and that in fact within the, when he gets into the like the world of the ai uh in uh, in the the hyperion books they're they're like it's a war of all against all like they're constantly trying to destroy each other and one up each other and they'll form alliances but it's always ultimately for like one victor to triumph um and it's you know it's so it's like uber capitalism versus like an uber post scarcity socialist communism society fully automated luxury communism uh of the the culture novels but like to get there again it's it's coming from our predispositions as a species we're putting that into the artificial intelligence we have to filter that out if we're going to get these ideal ais that can really and i mean again even if you don't have like minds that can think for themselves the intentionality of what you're doing with your technology and your ais is going to come from what you want it to do even subconsciously or what your culture values right oh absolutely like people say you know uh uh tech bros will say you know uh it's it's artificial it can't be racist it's a machine but no Mm -hmm. the people who made it have racial biases and that's comes in you know uh, yeah exactly remember the show better off ted yes uh yeah right yeah then an, an episode where the uh the uh companies um like they're building's ai system um didn't recognize black skin right like black people's skin um so uh and it was designed so if there's nobody in the room moving then it would shut off the lights and you know you couldn't access anything right so the the black people had to have a white person around to (laughs) wave at the at the systems and like they they couldn't even use the water fountains because those were automatic so they had to install you know black people water fountains and you know obviously operation white shadow yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's. That, but I mean, it, that's that's how you know we see with um, like the the uh, uh, self-driving cars. You know, not recognizing. Yeah. Uh, it's. It. I don't think it goes that far. But like you know, the the way. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, even if the people who, and I mean, we've had pretty ample evidence there's some really bad uh, ideology going into creating the technology right now, but even if there wasn't, like, th- you talk about the racism. Remember they tried to generate a, a an AI like a few years ago, and it got really racist really fast because yeah. it was reading all the stuff that was online, right? So it's not yeah. even just the creators, it's like what the, the culture is feeding towards the, the yeah like it, you that, have to struggle against that pretty hard i think the work. better off ted episode is a good example of how the you know a exaggerated example but um uh there's there's no desire to shut black people out of the system they just didn't think of them and that right, caused exactly. problems there were no black people there to tell them like uh, yeah. guys what's happening and in this case it, it mentions space battles uh and that um the ships like you they're so far away that you wouldn't be able to see them with a naked eye, but they, right. they have targeting systems that can, you know, shoot them, you know, a, a solar system away. Uh, mm-hmm. That That's really interesting. Like, the idea of, like, a space armada we see in a lot of science fiction, like, they're really close together. Yeah, <laughs> they, I know, they, that's... They wouldn't be, yeah. space is big. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think, yes, I think it was considered Phlebas that clued me into that. It's like, a real space battle would be hard to depict in the classic sense because the spaceships wouldn't get anywhere near each other. It mm-hmm. would be probably drones fighting each other across a vast space. Um, like, it would be very dramatic once a ship exploded. But, like, um, yeah, it wouldn't be these uh, this this uh, dogfight type of thing that you see in Star Wars. It would. I, I don't know to what degree Banks, like, reads up on all the science for these things. But he's got a big imagination of, like, well, what if we could do this with... And he, like, he, he understands the science to the degree of, like, how the orbitals would have to work to have day and night. And, like, how, you know, artificial intelligence might potentially go in certain directions and like he's he's thought about all the philosophical and imaginative things more than he's thought about the 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 hard science these are not hard science books by any stretch of the imagination like i say it is funny that like his alien depictions are sometimes they're pretty wild um but sometimes they're they're very um like he'll have an alien race that's depicted as very strange and non-human, but like they talk exactly like a human. Uh, uh, Ziller, who's the, the alien composer uh, in look to windward is he's written as like a 20th century human. He does not have like a lot of like he's from a culture. That's a certain, uh, again, small C culture. That's a certain way. And he's, he's from a culture that has certain aspects, but like as a, as a character, you wouldn't know that he was, not a human being essentially and i mean that's fine like for the purposes of what he's trying to do but you do i always do get a little bit rankled when you read an alien character and they're just very you know i i know it's hard to do but you got to try a little bit to make them seem a little less than not human like even i don't know i i felt like some of the adherents i mean it it depended but uh like the adherents were written like the the way they're introduced you just think you know they're klingons but they have you know three legs and stuff um so they're they're a little more alien in appearance but i i i figured they were just klingons but they have they have their own viewpoint yeah, yeah. that that feels not like a direct mapping on to any cult earth culture in particular they came from an extremely like evolutionarily chaotic planet that was like you know, you really had to fight to survive, and the fact that they got out of that and they feel like they they've been blessed and they have to spread this, you know, um, their sense of unity to 
to other planets. They're sort of like a the like the culture in that way, and that's why they get into war. Yeah, in that way, not not in other ways, but yeah. Yeah, I I, I mean there is a yeah no to to be clear there are he does write some alien cultures as being very strange, uh, but when the, like it and I guess you can argue that like because this is all being filtered through the AI, they're like translating it in such a way that the 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 different species can interrelate to each other really smoothly and clearly like maybe that's what we're seeing uh there's a bit again and look to windward where a guy's on these uh there's a cultural uh i guess anthropologist or scientist he's studying this aerosphere which is like the giant glob of air that goes through space floats through space it's like the size of a planet basically uh and there are these giant um uh entities called behemothaurs uh which are like mega huge whales uh that are entire ecosystems of them their own and like they're and they can breed like animals to defend itself animals to like communicate with the people who want to land on it and talk to them uh and they're fine to have visitors and show up and like they've got forests growing on them and all this kind of stuff and like the entities that communicate with them are not written as humans like they're written as very strangely in alien ways like the guy says like you know like if he goes we, I believe that, that we are all, that it is said that we are all to die shortly. And the guy will go, what? And he said, it is said that we are all to die shortly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he'll just repeat the same thing. And it's kind of emotionless. And like, uh, it's it's designed specifically to translate to the human-ish culture representative who's there. So again, it's like, since that's not a, the same kind of translation that the culture would use it's not as smooth so maybe that's what we're seeing in the culture i don't know yeah it is very hard to write alien truly alien aliens mm-hmm. i mean yeah. uh we, we've seen some examples of uh and, and we talked about this tweel in a martian odyssey by stanley weinbaum mm-hmm. um uh right. does come across as like alien in the way his way of thinking he's he's smarter than a human but he's yeah it, it, there's a, a level of connection there that that we can't quite reach. Uh, it's you know, uh, was it uh, Campbell who said yeah, to it, show me a, an alien who can think uh, as well as a human or uh, better than a human but not like a human? Yeah, it was. A, that's a that's a Campbell quote. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't want to rag on Banks too much. Like he does have some good examples of that, but it is funny that sometimes he'll just have an alien who's chilling or just one of the dudes just no <laughs> i'm fine with that too like star yeah. wars does that most of the time yeah well at least see with a with star wars they i the, i was always impressed by how they had in t- at the original trilogy at least they all spoke their own language and they they felt alien even if they communicated and operated yeah in a, but at the same but, time they hang out in jazz bars and yeah yeah or jizz bars um <laughs> jazz bars thank you very much okay um <laughs> Okay, one more thing, and just before I forget that I wanted mm-hmm. to, to connect to, to older books, um, sure. th- there's an aspect that the uh, the culture doesn't use money, but they have lots of money uh, saved up for, you know, having to deal with other cultures or other societies. Um, yeah. And that, that reminded me of uh, Utopia by Thomas More, uh, where the um, uh, utopians explicitly don't have any love for gold, like they don't but they have huge stockpiles of it in case they get invaded and they can just sort of destabilize the ranks of the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. By, yeah, the- you know, taking care of other people's obsession with gold. But yeah, I I, uh, I like the first book. I don't know if I'll be continuing these because they are quite long and I have other stuff to read for this oh, show. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
uh yeah it's it's a really interesting look into this this series um mm-hmm. even if just... you ever get a chance you might want to read player of games because it's okay. often considered the best one well the orbital is turning away from the sun so it's time once again to say goodbye we have been superior ultra minds adam prosser and philip rice uh, hosting was provided by alex ross who has transcended our reality to become a being of pure podcasting theme song was by jack Fierick, a composer exiled from his people for moral reasons he didn't want to share the last burrito um which is a reminder that uh, until we reach a post-scarcity civilization, we both have to rely on Patreon, which helps pay for hosting costs and whatnot. If you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, uh, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, one L, or Adam Prosser, two S's, or what-mad-universe.pinecast.co for the links. Uh, you can follow us on Blue Sky at What Mad Universe. All one word, or prankster thirty six for me, or spear halfock for Philip. Uh, I, I believe we're both on Mastodon as the same name as well. I'm prankster thirty yep. six. Yeah, you're. Yeah, so you could look for that. But we don't have a what mad universe account on Mastodon. We should get one. Um, uh, also, I did want to mention that I just launched a newsletter, uh, which is primarily going to be just to keep people apprised of various creative projects, including uh, this podcast but also uh, the other podcast i do and anything else related to that and a whole bunch of comics i'm planning to release this uh year which should be really cool uh it's at buttondown.email slash phantasmic tales with a ph again but yeah if you want to if you want to sort of keep apprised of all the new stuff that's happening on my end at least you could uh, read it i'll i uh i'll i'll i can throw in some stuff for philip as well <laughs> we're doing the uh I, I do the cartoonist co-op newsletter as well uh if you look up the cartoonist co-op uh they have a uh, uh they're a group and uh they release a newsletter with lots of new comics from various members which is worth following as well so you might want to look for that uh we'll see you next time the accession reappears and the aerosphere revolves around the galactic core one more time by then hopefully the party will still be going